0: Hey, you're listening to the Seven Hills Church podcast. If you want to learn more about the church, including upcoming service times in both our Cincinnati, Ohio, and Florence, Kentucky locations, visit us online at SevenHillsChurch.tv. We hope this message helps you win the day. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 13. And we've been in, I guess, a series. I I don't know. I guess 10,000 a light would be the series. And we've been looking at Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, kind of all through that, the storyline through that, and Zechariah, Malachi, and Haggai. And so we're spending some time working through uh, just the idea of, of what God was doing in the earth at that time and how it speaks clearly to us today. And I think today is one of those messages that was so unique to me because you know, you, you feel like you have an understanding of, of scripture and you think you maybe looked at most of it. And then all of a sudden something pops out at you and you're like, I have never seen that before. And today is one of those, those messages. So Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse four, everybody doing all right today. you doing good. Awesome. Awesome. You want to stand up? Is that all right? One last time, stretch, stretch, come on, throw your shoulders back, move your neck around. We're about to go to work. We're about to go to work. Verse four, before this, Eliashib, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah. Everybody say Tobiah. Tobiah. It's going to be an important name. We're going to spend some time on uh, that that name, that individual Tobiah, that spirit really. And he had provided him with a large room formerly used for the grain offerings and increase or incense and temple articles and also the tithes of grain, the new wine and the olive oil prescribed for the Levites. The musicians and gatekeepers as well used these contributions or these contributions were used for the priest. But while all was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. This is Nehemiah speaking. For in the 32nd year of the king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Some t- time later, I asked for permission and came back to Jerusalem. And this is when I learned the evil thing that Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah. Again, everybody say Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of our God. I was greatly displeased and threw out all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms and put back in there the equipment of the house of God, including the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them. And all the Levites and musicians responsible for service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected a very uh, regular question in the old Testament? That seems to be asked, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together, stationed them at their post. All of Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine and olive into the storerooms. Now flip back. If you got your Bibles to Nehemiah six, I want to read a couple more verses and then you can sit down and we'll, 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 we'll do this thing. One day I went to the house of the son of Deliah, the son of that one guy who was shut in his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God. Listen to what he said. This is him talking to Nehemiah. Let us meet in the house of God, of our God inside the temple. Let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you by night. They're coming to kill you. But Nehemiah said, should a man like me run away? That's the title of my message. Should a man like me run away? Why don't you ask yourself that question? Should a man like me, come on, ask yourself, should a man like me run away. Or you say, well, I'm a woman. Well, then just put, whoa, right? That's what God did. He just put a "woe" in front of man, right? Whoa, man. Okay. Should a whoa man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? Listen to what he said. I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but he had prophesied against me because of Tobiah. There it is again. Say Tobiah and Sam ballot had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Father, in Jesus name, we ask that you speak to us through your word. Like you're so faithful to do in Jesus name. We all said, amen. You can be seated. Should a man like me run away? I want to remind you that Hebrews nine and verse nine says, in reference to the old Testament temple and tabernacle, that it is an illustration for present time, which means when you read about the temple and the tabernacle, it's not just history. It is an illustration for present time. Since we're now the temple of the Holy Spirit, God can speak to you specifically through these old Testament stories and make them very real, very current and relevant to your everyday life. Nehemiah has so many incredible thoughts that we could pull out, but I want to introduce him to you real quick. He's a cupbearer, which is a very high ranking role. He would be considered the King's confidant and advisor. Nehemiah's name means Yahweh comforts. And so I want you to see off the top. I want you to notice off the top that Nehemiah's mission and the Holy Spirit's mission are very similar in our lives that Nehemiah's assignment to rebuild and to restore the temple and to reconstruct the walls of Jerusalem is the same as the Holy Spirit's job to come in and restore and rebuild and also to reconstruct the walls of protection in our life. And so when you read about Nehemiah, you can really get a great picture of how the Holy Spirit is building our lives. This is why Jude one in verse 20 says that you can build yourself up in your most holy faith by praying in the spirit, because when the Holy spirit is active in your life, it builds your faith. He, he builds your, your, uh, the walls of protection. The Holy spirit is a builder. And so Nehemiah of course knows that the walls of protection are down surrounding Jerusalem and as long as the walls of protection are down, God's people are a sitting duck. They're vulnerable. And so Nehemiah can't just sit back and watch this happen. And so it is with us as God's people. Sometimes we love God. We, we have a heart for God, but the walls of protection have been broken down around us. And as a result, we're vulnerable as a result. Uh, we're, we're sitting ducks in many ways and the enemy can come in and out of our life. And so the Holy spirit is not just here to restore your heart and give you a new birth, but he's also there to help you build up the walls of protection in your life. If you go back to chapters one and two of Nehemiah, you'll get a glimpse into what stirs Nehemiah initially is he hears this report that The walls of Jerusalem are broken down. The temple has begun to be active again. And when he hears the report, he begins to weep. He begins to weep so bitterly and he's so devastated and so brokenhearted by the news that he appears physically sick. The King notices his countenance and his disposition. And so the King says to Nehemiah you look like you're ill. You look like you're sick. You're, you're downtrodden. You're heavy. Can you maybe help me out with with exactly what's going on in your life? And Nehemiah reluctantly looks at the King and says, I've just heard the report of my people that are back in Jerusalem and they're there. And the temple has begun to be restored, but the walls surrounding the city are still broken down. And King, you know what that means. You know that there are many enemies of Israel. And you know that what this means is that these enemies are going to continue to traffic in and out of God's people and wreak havoc there in Jerusalem. And he says to the king, I'm asking your permission for a temporary leave of absence to go back and rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. And the king says, Nehemiah, you have my permission. You have my endorsement you have my approval, go and help rebuild the walls. And Nehemiah is walking out of the king's chambers. And before he leaves, he turns around and he says to the king, before I go, I've got one last request. I'm going to ask that the king would provide a letter for me. And that this letter would, would serve as a letter of authority. So if I'm going through a region and I need help or assistance or materials of some type to rebuild the wall, I can just hold up the King's letter. Or maybe if along the way I'm stopped or opposition is raised up and people begin to try to stop me from doing What you've endorsed that I do. I can hold up that letter of authority and say, no, I'm here under the authority of the king. And the king said, of course, Nehemiah, you have my letter of endorsement. You have my letter of authority that I'm going to give you as you go on your journey. And I think today we need to be reminded that we have a letter from the king, that we have a letter of authority that it is true that we live in a world that's in threat, constantly threatening and intimidating and that the enemy is always going to try to find ways to throw us off course and to, to try to get us to lose our confidence and to lose the, the faith that we have in what God is wanting to do in our generation and in our hour, but we have to like Nehemiah remind ourselves that we do have a letter from the King. We do have a letter of authority. We do have the King's endorsement and he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I just think it's important that we remind ourselves. This is not just a good book, but this is The gift that the Holy Spirit has given to the church and it is the King's letter to us. And it's, it's how you work your way through the opposition of the enemy. It's how you work your way through. Even sometimes the own, your own opposition that sometimes pops up and your own dumb thinking. Sometimes you got to have, this is why Jesus he's in the desert. And every time the enemy attacked him, he said, it is written four times. It is written. It is written because Jesus understood that he needed to use the letter. He needed to use the authority of the King when he faced the enemy. And if Jesus needed to use the book, you'll need to use the book. Acts 20 and verse 32. Now I commit you to God and listen and to the word of his grace, which can build you up. Yes, God can build you up. Yes, the Holy spirit wants to build you up. But Paul said, I commit you to God and to the grace of his word, which can build you up. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not just here to save us, to redeem us, but it's also the Holy Spirit's been sent to teach us how to build up our lives. And So Nehemiah gets the permission from the king and he makes his way to Jerusalem and he begins to work on the walls being rebuilt there. Almost immediately he faces great opposition and resistance. Three men are mentioned that are teamed up to stop Nehemiah and Israel from rebuilding the walls, Tobiah, Sanballat and Gisham. And these three men are a gang, if you will, that are opposed to anything being rebuilt in the city of Jerusalem. Now, what's interesting is I'm going to focus in on Tobiah though. They're all similar in spirit because we read about Tobiah in Nehemiah chapter 13, where we began our text today. And Tobiah is interesting because he was different in the way that he targeted Israel. He wasn't just opposing the physical external walls from being built. Tobiah knew how to get on the inside of the temple and tear down the spiritual walls of God's blessing and favor and provision. And so the Bible teaches us that Tobiah was someone Nehemiah considered his chief enemy, that he sent letters to falsely accuse Nehemiah to the king, that he would use tactics to frighten Israel. That he would mock their efforts as they were there building the wall. He would mock them and say, their hands are too weak to accomplish the task. He would send letters to Nehemiah to put him in fear and to intimidate him. Sam ballot and Tobiah at one point tried to get a private meeting with Nehemiah and the Bible says, and they were scheming to harm him once they got him alone. But when Nehemiah hears about their schemes, He says to those who came to him, I'm up here carrying on a great work and I will not come down. Four times, Tobiah requested a private meeting with Nehemiah. And every time Nehemiah responded, let him know I cannot come down. I've got a great work to carry on. From there, they escalated their private meeting agenda to a public death threat. They hired a prophet that we read about there in chapter six to go to Nehemiah and tell Nehemiah, Hey, we've got to go inside the church and we've got to close the doors of the church and we've got to hide in our little churches because if we don't, that which is out there is going to kill us. And this is where Nehemiah says to that false prophet, should a man like me run away? You see, the devil doesn't care that you're in church today. He doesn't care that we're in this building today. What he wants you and I to do is have that Tobias spirit convince us that we just need to close the doors, come in here and hide and come in here and just do our little thing. Because what the enemy fears most is that we would come in here, but that we would open the doors and we would see that this right here is not the ending point, but this is the beginning point. And we leave here and we go out into a lost and dying world to make a difference and to build up the walls that are trying to destroy our nation and a generation. And so Tobiah, the Bible says is an Ammonite in Nehemiah 13 and verse one. We're reminded that God had given the Ammonites and the Moabites permanent restraining orders that God had made a commitment that for no reason is an Ammonite ever to even attend my house. They're to never even walk into my house. They are permanently banned from coming in to my house. And The reason the Bible teaches that they were banned is because 800 years before the story that we read, Israel is about to cross over the Jordan into Canaan and the Moabites and the Ammonites hired a prophet by the name of Balaam and asked Balaam to curse. God's people and Balaam on multiple occasions went to go curse God's people. But in the end, he came to the conclusion that you cannot curse what God has blessed. And so now 800 years later, that same spirit that wanted to curse God's people begin to find its way from one generation to another generation. This is a hereditary hatred that you're dealing with. It's, it's, it's gone from Canaan all the way now. And it's showing up in this individual by the name of Tobiah. It's important that you realize that spirits never die and that Tobiah, though a individual there's a spirit that's got a hold of him, and it's the same spirit that had a hold of the Ammonites when they tried to stop God's people from entering into the promised land. And so God said, because of that spirit of intimidation, because of that spirit that tried to curse God's people, they cannot come into my house. And it's speaking of a spirit that should never be allowed in God's house. Remember, you are God's house, we are God's house. It's both. We do not battle against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers and rulers of darkness. And the point is simply this, that same spirit is alive today, but you cannot curse what God has blessed. And at some point. You've got to come to the place just like they did as they were entering into the promised land. We're not the kind of people that run away. Just like Nehemiah, when he's up against Tobiah and the death threats, he said, am I a man that I should run away? God's people have to get it deep down in their spirit that we're not the kind of people that run away. So in spite of the odds, Nehemiah accomplishes this great task. He overcomes Tobiah's death threats and intimidation tactics, and he rebuilds the walls surrounding Jerusalem. But remember, he was on a temporary, it was a temporary leave of absence. So he had to go back to fulfill his responsibilities to the king in Babylon. And so the Bible says he returns, he leaves Jerusalem after the task was accomplished, he goes back to Babylon. While he's in Babylon, we don't know exactly how long the Bible says for an extended period of time, Jerusalem begins to lose sight of where God has brought them. Nehemiah is unaware of exactly what's going on, but at some point he gets permission to go back to Jerusalem. So we don't know exactly what Nehemiah was thinking Jerusalem would be like, what the condition of the city and God's people would be like. But we know a couple things that Nehemiah knows. We know that they just come out of 70 years of being enslaved in Babylon. And the Bible is very clear. Whenever you watch God's people fail, whenever you watch God, the, the, the blessing of God, come off God's people. It was always the result of three things, three things. Every single time you see this thread all the way throughout scripture. Number one, they would neglect God's house, which was primarily they, they uh, did not put God first in their finances. The second area that you see this happening, and I'll show you in just a second how this works. It's super clear and it's your Bible, not mine. Um, it's mine too. I guess it's our Bible, but you know what I mean? The second thing that, that the people did is they begin to intermarry with, with people of other religions. So this is not, uh, the color of their skin was different this has nothing to do with the white weren't marrying black or black marrying, you know, Brown. This has to do with people of different faiths, marrying, because what God is saying inside of that is when you marry someone of a different faith, I'm not going to be the priority in the home. And because I'm not the priority in the marriage, I'm not going to be the priority in the parenting, which ultimately I'm not going to be the priority in the children. And so God says, first of all, uh, people begin to, to find themselves sliding in the wrong direction when they begin to neglect my house, when they don't put me first in their finances. Number two, when they don't put me first in their home. I just want to take a second and talk to all the p- single people here. It's very important that you marry somebody that is strong in their faith. That's you saying, God, you are first in my home. I'm not here to control your life. You do what you want to do, but your children are at stake, my friend. So let's keep going. We're going to go on down. We're going to go on down. Then finally, finally, the third area was they did not keep the Sabbath holy, which means God was not first in their time. When these three things would happen and it started in one area, started with their finances, then it moved to their homes, their children, And then ultimately the Sabbath actually Sabbath was usually number two. Then it found its way to their home. Stop caring about giving to God. Stop caring about giving their time to God. Ultimately it found its way into their children. Now Nehemiah knows that this is why they just were sent to Babylon for 70 years. God was teaching his people a lesson. He brings them back. All of these practices are put back in place. Nehemiah goes to Babylon for an extended period of time. He comes back and we don't know exactly how this happened, but we have some details that he's on his journey and he looks over in a dusty field and he notices there's a man behind a plow and he looks over at the man behind the plow and he says, I think that's the worship leader. I believe that's the, the, the man we assign to, to day to day organize the musician and the worship in the house of God. And then he goes to another field and he notices there's a man out there watering and planting. And he says to himself, that's, that's the missionary we had sent. That's, that's the missionary. We, we had said had a heart to go reach foreign nations and, and, and I wonder why he's out in the field. Nothing wrong with the field, but that's not what we assigned him to do. We as God's people saw the hand of God on him and said, he needs to go into this foreign land and preach the gospel. Why is he home in the field, walk by another place and there, the youth pastor and the children's pastor are milking cows. I'm adding some color to it. He finds his way into the city of Jerusalem. He sees the children playing in the streets. This is actually what it says in Nehemiah chapter 13. They're speaking the language of Ashdod. They have a Hebrew dialect, they have a Hebrew dialect, but they do not know the language of Judah is what it says. And he notices the parents that are walking down the street hand in hand as a Hebrew, but that's a foreign woman. And it clicks to Nehemiah that the reason the children are no no longer speaking the language of Ashdod is because they're intermarrying. God is not first in the home. He walks, wakes up the next day. It's the Sabbath day and he's on his way to the temple to worship, but he notices that everybody is working and they're buying and they're selling and all the activity in the business areas are, are hectic. They're crowded and Nehemiah finds his way to the temple and it's empty. It's scarce at best. And he says they have, they have desecrated the Sabbath as well. God's not first in their homes. God's not first in their time and he knows what's happened. He walks into the outer court of the temple. Remember the temple has three rooms and there he runs into somebody and he asks the question. We read it earlier. Why has my house become neglected? And they walk Nehemiah up to the first room, which is the holy place. This is where the altars are, and the table of showbread, and the golden lampstand, and the brazen labor. They're all there in the holy place. The holy of holies is behind a big curtain or veil. And on the other side of that curtain, of course, they can't go in there. Only the high priest can go once a year on the day of atonement. But behind that veil is the Ark of the Covenant. On top of the Ark of the Covenant is the mercy seat over the mercy seat is where the divine presence of God dwells. The Shekinah glory of God dwells right there in the Holy of Holies. But the third room that Nehemiah asked to see was the storerooms. You had the holy place, the holy of holies and the storeroom surrounded both of those rooms. It was one massive room and inside the storeroom is where people would come on the Sabbath with their families and they would bring into the storeroom what belonged to God, their ties and their offerings. They didn't have banks. And so they would leave. All of the tithes and the offerings into the storehouse and the Bible says because of the storehouse, this is how all the ministry was to take place from the temple. And Nehemiah walks into the storeroom and he notices it's empty and he looks in there and he says, where is what belongs to God? Where, Where is the tithes? Where is the offerings? And it clicks. That's why the worship leaders plow in the field. And this is why the missionaries, uh, watering and seeding, And this is why the, the, this is why the ministry of the house of God has ceased. And he looks inside the temple and there he looks and instead of what belongs to God, he sees a bed in the storeroom and he sees a couch and he sees a dresser. He sees a makeshift kitchen over here and a bathroom over here, and then he sees the silhouette of a man on a recliner with his feet kicked up watching CNN. Maybe Fox. I don't. Know, maybe Sports Center. Wh- whatever you want him to be watching, I don't care. You villainize who you want. And Nehemiah said, "Why are you in this room?" This room belongs to God. And the man spins around and says, not anymore. I live in this room. What do you mean you live in this room? What is your name? My name is Tobiah Tobiah who? Tobiah, the Ammonite, minds, Nehemiah's mind begins to race. He's thinking the Tobiah that sent death threats. The Tobiah that plotted to have us killed the Tobiah that falsely accused the King, the Tobiah that daily mocked and intimidated us. The Tobiah that God said shouldn't even attend has a permanent restraining order on him because of the hereditary hatred for God's people that had been passed down for 800 years. That Tobiah is living in the storeroom. Tobias says, well, who are you? He says, I'm Nehemiah. And should a man like me run from a man like you? Should a man like me run from my mission? Should a man like me run from my commitments? Should a man like me run from the hard truths of the gospel? should a man like you and me run from our responsibilities? Should we run from the presence of opposition? And I love what Nehemiah announced. I will not run. I will not close the doors of the church in my spirit. We're going to fling them open. And this is my favorite part of the story. So Nehemiah evicts Tobiah. He kicks Tobiah out of the storeroom and announces there's no squatters allowed in the storeroom. He removes his furniture. He's throwing his mattresses out, his bed out, read it. He throws all of his furniture, out, his bedroom out, his furniture out. He throws that recliner out. He throws that flat screen out. He's throwing, he's just throwing it all out. And he orders for the storeroom to be purified. And then he sends out word into all of Judah to bring back the tithes and the offerings. And while they're at it, to bring the worshipers back and to bring the ministers back and let's get back to honoring God and let's get back to preaching the gospel and let's get back to building the church and let's get back to winning the world to Jesus Christ. So he announces, bring them all back. And we're going to get back focused on honoring God and doing the work of God. Now, remember your body is the temple of the Holy spirit, which means you have rooms. Your mind is a room. Your lungs are a room and your heart is a room. That's why the Bible says that you and I have to have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you. That was also in Christ. You have to protect your mind. You have to build the walls of protection up in your mind from the wrong thinking, from, from the wrong motives, from the wrong behaviors. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta make sure that God is. In control, and he's dwelling in the presence of that room. You've got your lungs. The Bible says, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. That's why we sing for 30 minutes every single weekend. We up front, we start off church. We're just gonna worship. Why? Because everything that hath breath praise the Lord. You know, the word Yahweh is actually a result of God's people. When they would talk about God, they would pause and stop. Before they would say God's name, they thought it was too holy to say, so they would stop and take a breath. Yahweh, Yahweh. Did you know that everything in creation that has lungs every time it takes a breath, it's saying his name, it's saying the name of Yahweh. Your lungs are a room. I'm surprised by how many people have breath today and they know God could take that breath in a second and they have trouble giving god praise for the very breath that they have but your lungs are a room and because you have breath you are obligated to praise god and your heart is also a room the bible says you love the lord your god with all your heart with all your mind with all your soul and with all your strength matthew 6:21 says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I would have never said it like that. He didn't say where your heart is, there your treasure is. He said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because your heart follows treasure. Wherever you put your treasure, there your heart will be. Can't stop it. Can't stop it. Can't can't say with your mouth one thing, and then invest your treasure in other places, and your heart not be where you've invested. So this is the test I'm going to give you and we're out. When a Tobias spirit gets inside the temple, which room did he move into the storeroom, this tear down spirit, this spirit that's against the walls of protection against the walls of blessing. Once those tore down, it's the same spirit that saw God's people blessed and and under his favor and their hand is on them about to go into Canaan. That same spirit that wanted to curse that now has moved into the storeroom and it's there to tear down the walls of blessing. And I love the fact that the Bible gives us such a beautiful illustration of how Tobiah moves into the storeroom. He moves into the generosity room. And when Tobiah moves in generosity moves out, but can't you see Nehemiah? Can't you see him as he's taking Tobiah, throwing him out. I'm not going to run from a man like you. I'm not going to run from a spirit like you spirit of fear and intimidation, criticism opposite. I'm not going to run from you. Throws that spirit out, throws all that furniture out. And as soon as Tobias moved out, generosity moved back in. And when I read this story, I wrote in my margins that the Holy spirit is the only one that can evict Tobiah from your storehouse. A preacher can't get that spirit out of you. Only the Holy spirit Only the Holy Spirit can go and throw that Tobias spirit out of you. So many people's hearts are controlled by a wrong spirit. Their life is controlled by a wrong spirit. Their future controlled by if Nehemiah was your pastor, you know what he would read to you? Nehemiah would read this text to you Malachi chapter three verse 8 you know it he says return to me well how will we return to you and god says will a man rob god yet you rob me but you ask how are we robbing you he says in the tithes and the offerings so you're under a curse your whole nation because you're robbing me bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house test me in this says the lord almighty To see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing on you that there will not be enough room to store it. Can I just take a moment and say, if Nehemiah was your pastor, he would say, should men like us run away? Should we run away? Should we just duck and cower and hide and say, I don't like that. Close the doors, hide out in safety us four, no more, no sacrifice, no pushing, no pressing, no saying, okay, God, it belongs to you. I'm bringing, no, 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 none of that. Are we like Nehemiah? We look at that Tobias spirit and we say, we will not run from the things that God calls us to. No matter how difficult at times they might seem, we're going to embrace it. We're going to guard the store room. We're going to guard God's call to be generous. This week I was in, um, Louisville doing a pastor's conference on Monday and the pastor in this church, his dad's pastor, of the church, I, I don't remember exactly how long the church has been there, but I want to say like 60 years, something like that, 50, 60 years. And the pastor asked me if I'd ever heard the story of, of Colonel Sanders you know, Kentucky fried chicken. I said, no, I, I, I haven't, but I was interested. You know, Uh, I know though over in Anderson, you may not be as interested, but here in Kentucky, you know, this is a big deal to us. right. There's our claim to fame in case you're wondering bless the world with fried chicken. Somebody say praise God. Praise God. Know where you're going after church. I said, no, I, I, I've never heard it. He said, well, in the 1960s, Colonel Sanders had a restaurant in Corbin, Kentucky, uh, restaurant slap slash hotel. that was very, very successful. And the highway department rerouted the highway system around Corbin. And because of that, all the traffic that had formerly come through to his hotel and his restaurant was rerouted. And so his business began to decline. To the point that he was going to have to close his doors as a last ditch effort. He was always known for their chicken. And so he gets in his car and he begins to drive from state to state, Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, and he goes to restaurants and he sells his fried chicken for five cents, a chicken. He sleeps in his car at night. He drives during the day and sells his fried chicken, one chicken at a time. One day, my pastor's dad, or this, this, I'm sorry, this pastor that I was with, uh, his name is Bob Rogers in Louisville. He said, one day, my dad's having a revival and someone is driving down the street in Louisville and they see Colonel Sanders at a stoplight and they yell out to him and they invite him to the revival that night to come out. And Colonel Sanders shows up to church. He walks in with that white suit, I guess is the only thing he ever wore. He sits down on the front row of that church. At the end of the message, the pastor gives an altar call. He comes down to the altar. He gives his life to Jesus Christ and his life life was forever changed. He immediately begins to tithe. And at one point, Kentucky fried chicken served the most food of any organization in the world next to the United States army. And this is what Colonel Sanders said. Actually there's pictures of him being baptized right there. That's a picture of him being baptized by that pastor. When he told me one story of, of he was in the, Colonel Sanders was in the hospital. He had polyps on his colon. And the pastor went in and prayed for him. And he said that he believed he had gotten healed. And he told the doctor, you can't operate on me. God's healed my colon. And the doctor showed him the x-rays and said, no, I'm sorry. We're going to have to operate. The doctor opened up his body, went in and all the polyps were completely gone. So they closed up his body. And that doctor attends Bob Rogers church to this day. And he tells the story. Colonel Sanders would go from there to live to, to be 92 years old. And this is what he said. He said, I really believe in tithing. He said, my prayer has always been for thankfulness. God has been so good to me. I've been a great believer in tithing. The Bible says you owe 10%. This is his words, not mine. I believe even if you're a crook, you still owe 10% to the Lord. (laughs) Whatever Colonel Sanders says, I guess tithing is a great inspiration in my life. He says, as you do something for God you'll always get a better return than what you put in. Just before he died, he said, I always figured there is no use in being the richest man in the cemetery. You can't operate from there. He said, most people don't know that I've given most of my money away to churches into the preaching of the gospel. Will a man like me run away? Colonel Sanders, no. Man like me doesn't run from a Tobias spirit. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you want to experience daily content, messages, and inspiration, go ahead and sign up for Daily Bread with PM by visiting sevenhillschurch.tv slash dbpm. Thanks for listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast.